Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this Wednesday, loaded Wednesday, in which the show, <laughs> at least for me, is going to start in a little bit of a, a tough note, given the Warriors game last night. I'll get into why the Golden State Warriors dynasty, one that I have proclaimed for, well, really since my show started four years ago, is very much alive Ladies and gentlemen, it is on the brink. She is on the brink. The, the, the fat lady ain't sung yet, but she is no question warming up. And there's some concerns I have about my Warriors team right now falling to 8-10 and 10 after last night's collapse. I'll get into that to start the show. Also, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback ever, the greatest player in NFL history, and what I've called him the greatest athlete in the history of American team sports. He had some comments last week. He reiterated them this week about how there's a lot of mediocrity in the NFL. I figured it was a perfect segment, perfect opportunity to get into that on this week's edition of Carving Up the Context in about a half hour from now, getting to Tom Brady and what he said about especially quarterback play, which I'm very interested to get into. Also, the college football playoff, you know, they never cease to amaze me every single year. There's that one team where, like, they really shouldn't be in the playoffs, but you know what? We're going to be nice to them, and they're doing that once again with the number four-ranked team in America, Florida State. I'll get into that after my Golden State topic. Also, Bryson's best 10 every Wednesday, my top 10 teams in the National Football League. We're moving into week 13. We're starting to get into December football, uh, and, at the, and at the end of today's show, one of the teams, shocker, shocker, that's on Bryson's best team, the Dallas Cowboys, will be hosting the Seattle Seahawks tomorrow night. I will predict that game. Big NFC clash at the end of today's show. Full disclosure, though, before I even get into anything, if I sound a little off, uh, I've been a little under the weather, so, you know, if I, if I sound, you know, don't sound totally 100%, I apologize in advance to those that are listening and those who are watching. But we're going to have a, half, a heck of a show today and have hopefully some fun. Although this first segment will be terribly fun for me. But first, my Golden State Warriors are 8-10. and 10. They lost last night 124-123 to 123 to the Sacramento Kings. Congratulations, Sacramento. You finally got one on the old Warriors. Took you long enough. You lost 10 of your last... 11 regular season games lost in the playoffs on a 50-burger by Steph Curry. But you got one. Hats off to Sacramento. Love that team's future. And I love me some De'Aaron Fox, who was spectacular last night, by the way. De'Aaron Fox dropping 29-9-7. A little inefficient shooting, especially from the free throw line. But he did his thing. And Malik Monk hitting a, maybe a lucky shot, but props to him. Hit the game when he shot with 14 seconds left. And there was deeper ramifications than just winning a regular season game at the end of November. Because for Golden State, due to the Minnesota win over OKC by three points, the Warriors, to advance uh, in the in-season tournament to the knockout round, had to beat the Kings by 12 points. Well, we knew that about that after the end of the first quarter, after the Minnesota win, because they, they tipped off their game two hours before the Warriors-Kings matchup. Well, late first half, I'm like, <laughs> we're in great shape. I mean, we're up 72-48, and Steph's knocking shots down. Clay's playing well. Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green is everywhere on both sides of the floor. Knocking down threes himself, which is always an added bonus for Draymond. Despite Chris Paul going down the first half, we know Chris is up there in age, so the injuries are going to come with greater regularity. We knew that coming in even when the Warriors traded for CP3, and it's all going well. And then the third quarter, Kings dry plethora of fouls. Shoot, I think 20, 21 free throws from the free throw, uh, tw 21 uh, uh, shots at the free throw line, score 40 points in the quarter. And in the fourth quarter, the Warriors at one point who led by nine points ended up losing the game, of course, as I mentioned, on the Malik Monk shot. And it, what, what made this, the, what just rubbed the salt in the wound all the more was the closing of the game. 
especially as it pertains to, to me, the two clearly, with respect to Klay Thompson, Andre Guadalla, Kevin Durant, all the important players to this Warriors dynasty, the two most important pieces. Obviously, Steph Curry, nobody debates that, and Draymond Green. Both were abysmal, and I love both, but they were terrible down the stretch. When the Golden State Warriors led this game, by a score of uh, 121 to 115. Steph had just knocked down two free throws. They're up six. De'Aaron Fox hits the three-point jumper. Then Draymond misses a three-pointer with a minute, uh, a minute three seconds to go. Wig Wiggins makes a tip shot. But after De'Aaron Fox makes uh, one of two free throws, okay, there's 50 seconds left in the game, 44 seconds rather, and Steph Curry, when getting trapped in the backcourt, throws a terrible pass trying to hit Klay Thompson. They're, the Kings get it after a couple of good passes. Kevin Herter sets up Malik Monk, and he hits a three-point shot to make it a, th- a one-point game. Then Draymond's got the ball, and he throws it to the Warriors' bench. I don't know if him and Clay were on the same page, but Draymond turns it over. And then finally, after Malik Monk hits what ended up being the game-winning shot with 7.1 to go, Steph Curry dribbles up the court. Uh, we don't have the video on this show, but you can look it up. Steph Curry is dribbling down the left side, given the, the attention he's going to draw because he's the greatest shooter ever. He got multiple Kings coming at him. Draymond is wide open at the top of the key. If Steph, who had about three seconds left uh, in the game, if he passes to Draymond and Draymond passes to Clay, whether he makes or misses it, Clay is a wide open shot for the win. So Steph executed that play poorly at the end, ended up shooting. This is a 36 foot uh, fadeaway three, falling, uh, you know, off balance, and it misses, and the Kings end up winning a crazy game last night. I have been, so all that to wrap it up, and it's not wrap it up, but to, to tie into this. Since I started my show four years ago as a Lifelong diehard Golden State Warriors fan. I became a fan of the 2013 season. This is right after the Warriors came off of a, their first playoff appearance uh, appearance since the We Believe Warriors in 07. And they were the sixth seed, upset the Denver Nuggets, wound up losing to the Spurs, who probably should have won the championship that year. The Heat fan and their fans can thank LeBron and Ray Allen for that. Been a fan since then. And I have been at the front of the line, I think in this whole Warriors dynasty is over nonsense about like, guys, Steph still is prime. Draymond's still impactful. Once Clay, I mean, I I said religiously a few years ago, when Clay comes back, the Warriors are the best team in the NBA. When Clay comes back, and sure enough, when Clay came back, the Warriors won the championship. The front office drafted well. Jordan Poole at the time was an impact player. I even said a year ago, don't count out the Warriors. Still believe they can win it all. And who knows? A couple shots go in against the Lakers. Maybe they do. Maybe, they, or at least they certainly advance to the Western Conference Finals. This all while having a completely fractured locker room. I mean, it's bad. I, I again, really bad. Get, given the Jordan Poole, Draymond Green situation, I have sources in the Bay Area. It was really bad in Golden State. But this year, I said, hey, you add Chris Paul, you get the cancer out of the locker room. That's Jordan Poole. That in itself is a bonus. But then you get Chris Paul in. Mr. Greatest Assist to Turnover Ratio guy, one of the greatest in the history of the NBA, to calm it down, to make the bench better, which, by the way, the bench has been better. Great stuff. Here's where I'm at, though, in the Warriors, who have lost, uh, let me make sure I'm getting this right, they have lost eight of their last ten contests. I'm not worried about Steph Curry, nor should any reasonable person watching basketball. Steph Curry has been nothing short of spectacular this season. He's 35 years old. He's going to be 36 uh, by season's end. He turns to the 36 in March. And uh, all Steph Curry is doing this year is averaging a cool uh, a cool 29.7 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, and is almost shooting 50-40-90. 
So Steph is awesome. We, we knew that coming into the season. He's one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. I'm also, despite the concern early in the season by some, I'm really not that worried about Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is a guy who the reports came out. I think Kendra Andrews, who, who covers the Warriors, she came out with a report saying that, hey, Andrew Wiggins, there's some frustration around the building, saying that he came into the season out of shape. Don't love that, but guys can play themselves in shape as time goes on. And by the way, Andrew Wiggins, one could argue he was the best warrior last night. He dropped 29 and 10 on very efficient shooting. Wiggins was great last night. And we know we all know when Wiggins is aggressive, saw it in the finals in 2022. I mean, the man was getting MVP consideration for that series, despite how great Steph was playing. That's how impactful Wiggins is. He's only 29 years old, uh, 28, 29 years of age. He's still in the prime of his career. So Wiggins is good to go. Not worried about him. I'm worried about three guys. Two players, one coach. One is Clay Thompson. So Clay, not last, I'm not talking about last night. Clay was good himself. Okay. Clay Thompson dropped 20 uh, and, and grabbed nine boards. So Clay was acting the boards pretty good defensively, I thought, and for the most part, knocked the shots down. But the day before the Warriors took the bus ride, the short bus ride from San Francisco to Sacramento. Clay was in a little bit of a back and forth, a little bit of a, uh, you know, heated exchange to a certain degree, at least by Clay's standards, about the, the reporter asked, I think, a, a pretty, pretty, you know, uh, understandable question about, hey, what do you think about the lineups and whatever the case may be? And Clay's like, what do you want them to do? Bench me? Report comes out the next day by Kendra Andrews that Clay Thompson getting a little irritated with this whole contract negotiation with the Warriors. We know Clay's going to be a free agent next summer. So there's some concern with that. There's some animosity, you know, potentially between Clay and whether it's the GM, Mike Dunleavy Jr., the front office, uh, the ownership group led by Joe Lacob. And you're seeing it's affecting Clay's game. If you watch Clay's body language, again, I watch every single Warriors game start to finish. You watch Clay after, after he misses a shot, and we know Clay is this cool, chill dude. When Clay misses a shot, dang it, or he's hitting himself on the head. He's like, ah, like the, the body language you can see, he's frustrated. He's taking bad shots, trying to force shots. He's been doing this through, through the first 18 games of the season. It's getting his head, and I'm worried about that. The second is Draymond Green, and I worry about a little bit of a head case for him as well. Be like, yeah, duh, Draymond Green's a head case. No, 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 Not for the reasons that, that folks might think. It's not about the Rudy Gobert situation, which, aside from him holding on to Rudy too long, which I said Draymond was wrong in that he shouldn't have held Rudy as long as he did, I 1,000% defend him going after Rudy Gobert for what he did to Clay Thompson. 1,000%. You don't put your hands on another opponent, uh, another uh, team's player, when there's a scuffle. So he's, Draymond's like, you put hands on Clay, I'm putting hands on you. Now he went too far. Even last night, when Draymond Green got a technical foul, thought it was a pretty soft technical foul because Steph Curry was making the same, you know, carrying uh, effect that, that the Draymond Green was making. Steph didn't get a tech. Draymond Green did, and Steph himself criticized that after the game. It's not even that. It's the fact that with all the noise surrounding Draymond Green from folks that I have immense respect for, Kenny Smith on TNT, Charles Barkley on TNT, uh, former players like Kendrick Perkins on ESPN who are going after Draymond saying, hey, man, you got to chill out. I remember doing a show a year and a half ago during the finals when Draymond was going through a similar situation where uh, he's a little too hot-headed and his production isn't matching, which I actually thought Draymond was really good last night. What I'm worried about is that Draymond is going to do one of two things. Either become more of what he is and become too emotional, which people are like, ah, isn't he too emotional now? No, he's not. Come on. The Warriors need what he brings to the table. I'm worried Draymond will try and double down and go to the next level, or 
He'll take a step back, mellow out, and be like, you know, and let it get to his head a little bit. I don't think Draymond will do that. I think the, the, the former is the more likely option for him. But to pull back and be like, okay, I'm not going to put my team in a bad situation, which in theory on paper, that's good, but the Warriors need that enforcer. It's why Draymond's been so incredibly valuable to the Warriors for the last decade during, th- you know, throughout this dynasty. And the third is Steve Kerr that I'm concerned about. Now, Steve, it's not a, it's not a mindset thing. It's not a, well, it's kind of a mindset thing. It's, it's not a something's in his head. I think Steve, and he's done this throughout his entire career, is make adjustments, in-game adjustments. We all remember infamously 2015 finals. He inserts Andre Iguodala in the lineup. Iguodala, I didn't think he should have won, but Iguodala should have won or, or ended up getting the finals MVP because Steve Kerr saw something on the floor against Cleveland, inserted Iguodala in the finals. They didn't lose again in that series, and they won the championship. Steve Kerr is the master of making in-game adjustments and in-between game adjustments. He's going to have to make one now. And it's not even relating to the starting lineup. Starting lineup's fine. Matter of fact, I actually like it a lot. Splash Brothers, Draymond, Wiggins, Kavon Looney. He's got to play the younger guys more. In particular, Moses Moody. Now, Moses Moody last night was excellent. Four for four from the field, 11 points. When Sacramento was making their furious furious push, when Sacramento was making their comeback, it wasn't Steph. It wasn't Clay. It was kind of Wiggins, but not as much as it was Moody. It was Moses Moody who was keeping the Warriors afloat. It was Moses Moody who was hitting contested threes, off the dribbles, getting set up by Steph, knocking down big-time shots to keep the Warriors in the game. And Kerr takes him out when he's hot. For the record, Chris Paul got hurt last night. That's not ideal. Gary Payton got hurt last night, and his injury looks to be far more severe. That's definitely not great. He's got another guard to replace him by the name of Brandon Pajemski, who they drafted out of Santa Clara. Uh, I think it's where he went to school, Santa Clara, in this year's NBA draft. Kerr instead went with Corey Joseph, who uh, wasn't uh, wasn't all that great. Uh, Corey Joseph scored four points, and I'm sorry, did you, Corey Joseph, I'm getting his numbers right. Yes, I am. Yeah, four points and was of no impact whatsoever on the floor. And Mr. Pajemski never stepped foot on the floor. Some of the younger guys, Trace Jackson Davis has given the Warriors good minutes this year. If you need some size, go to him. If Sarge is tired or if you want to go with a bigger lineup, go with Trace Jackson Davis. That's why you drafted these guys. Pajemski's a good shooter, can score off the dribble, give Steph a longer rest. By the way, the Warriors played a game last week against the Phoenix Suns on the road in which they were down 17 with six minutes left. And Kerr said, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm taking all my starters out. I'm going to put my bench players in. Ladies and gentlemen, that was a three-point game with 20 seconds left. With Booker and Kevin Durant on the floor for the Suns. The bench is fine. The young players are making their impact. Give them more of an opportunity to. That's Kerr's issue. My concern is that if none of these moves happen, because I don't think the Warriors need to just go trade everybody at if those particular adjustments don't happen by those three particular individuals, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, then I fear the dynasty, at least as currently constructed, may very well be over. Listen, Steph's going to be great for the next three years. You're seeing what LeBron's doing. Steph's game is not as athletically reliant as LeBron's is. Or as Kevin Durant's is to a, to a certain extent because Katie's a bigger player than Steph. Wiggins is in the prime of his career. I'm not worried about Wiggins. Looney, kind of the same energy. It's Clay, Draymond, Kerr I'm a little bit worried about. Not saying we should just trade Clay, trade Draymond, fire Kerr. That's That'd be the, the last resort. The good news is for the Warriors, though, it's kind of like what I've said about the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of their offensive struggles. It's well within their control to change it. 
it's well within Clay's control to, you know, to take better shots, to play more within the Warriors' offense, which he did at times, and I liked, but not getting his own head. Same thing can be said about Draymond Green, not letting the outside noise get to him. And with Kerr, play the younger guys. Give him a shot. I mean, when's the last time an old, an all-old team has won a championship? Can't remember it. Cannot remember it. Give the younger guys some run. That's what I liked about the Warriors' offseason. They brought in Dario Saric. They, now, Chris Paul's an older guy, but Chris Paul's a veteran, smart player. Pajemski was a good draft pick. Trace Jackson Davis was a good draft pick. We see what Moses Moody's evolved into. Moses Moody's a real NBA player. Give those guys some more runway. If they do, I think the Warriors can turn this around. After all, they did start 6-2. and two. The Warriors, the good news is, especially for, for Kerr, who vehemently said we are not in a free fall, Klay Thompson has said, I absolutely believe we can win a championship. Maybe that's trying to speak into existence. Very well could be the case. But um, there are some legitimate concerns with this Warriors team uh, regarding Clay, Draymond, and Kerr. That can be addressed. But if they're not, this team can't compete for an NBA title this season. And that's the reality of it. Listen, I'm a Warriors fan. Okay, I, 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 I've seen this team win four championships. It's been a blast. I still think that they have it within them as this roster is currently constructed to do it. But the adjustments have to happen. They have to. If they don't, they can't. They darn sure can't compete with Denver. De everybody's chasing Denver out west. Okay, I know Minnesota is the one seed. They're not as good as Denver. There's not. I don't take Minnesota seriously in the slightest. Uh, you know, Oklahoma City is an up and coming team. You know, the Lakers. You can't. You can never underestimate the Los Angeles Lakers, led by the greatest player ever, LeBron James. Uh, adjustments have to happen in Golden State. They got to happen. It's just like you know, watching that game. It was like watching a. A car accident happened in slow motion, man. It was, it was brutal. It was, it was not fun. I mean, I'm up. We're up 24. I think, ah, oh, I can sit back, enjoy the rest of this game, watch the bench come in in garbage time, and extend this to a 30 point lead, and we get to the knockout round of the, of the knockout stage of the first ever in season tournament, which has been a slam dunk by the commissioner Adam Adam Silver. Definitely was not meant to be, and it has been, it was a rough night. Rough nights of Warriors fan. It's been a lot of rough last few weeks. Um, Golden State. Here's the good news, though, for Golden State. More good news, fellow uh, members of Dub Nation. The Warriors' next two games are against the free-falling Clippers. So we're good. We are we are more than good, okay? The Clippers who just lost to the Denver Nuggets with no Nicole Jokic, no Jamal Murray, no Aaron Gordon. So we'll be fine. Hopefully we can win these next two games, get to 500, and keep on moving forward and make set adjustments. Gonna have to happen if this team wants to get to the next level. Feel free, everybody, to chime in the comment section if you would like. Let me know what your thoughts are on Golden State and all of the topics that we are going to be doing today. This is one of those shows, man, and this tends to happen more to the the middle of the week, at least during football season, it does. Where it's like um, it, it's like a salad. It's like a mix of things. We're talking NBA. We're talking NBA. Uh, yeah, NBA, which I just start, uh, talked about. Talking NFL. Talking college football. Uh, hopefully going to bring back the Otani watch segment for Major League Baseball on Friday, which I've been doing. I didn't do last week because we had so packed of a show and there wasn't a whole lot of Otani news. Uh, obviously, we're all watching to see where he ends up going when it's all said and done. Probably the greatest free agent that we have had in baseball in a, a very long time. And you know, my Boston Red Sox right in the thick of things to potentially get him. So it should be a very, very fun uh, next few uh, next few weeks. Next few weeks in Major League Baseball. And, and listen, we're moving into this last show of Carving It Up uh, of November. Crazy month. And December will be a dandy. No question about that. I do want to shift, though, to college football. So, you know, there's that saying. 
I guess my generation, Gen Z, invented it because uh, you see it a lot on social media. Is the yeah, buddy? Uh, there's still time to delete this. You ever seen that in the comment section? If somebody says something kind of dumb, somebody responds, "Uh, hey, hey, dude, there's still time to delete this." And it usually comes from. Let's be honest. Usually, those comments usually come from from guys. We we're not prone to make the greatest decisions on social media. College football playoff committee. There's still time to delete this, and by delete this, I mean take Florida State off of out of your top four. Now, you'll have the opportunity on Sunday, on Selection Sunday. You will still uh, you'll have a second chance. You'll have a mulligan. You'll have a second crack at it. Florida State's not the fourth-best team in college football. For context, and carving out the context in about 10 minutes about Tom Brady, but uh, for context, the playoff committee came out with their top uh, top 25 last night. It went, well, I'll just do the top 10 because everything else after that is kind of irrelevant. One to 10, it is Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, Missouri, Penn State. That's your top 10 right there in college football. So I put up my top 10, or my I'm sorry, my top six, which were my top four in, first two out. I'll put it right up uh, again on this show. I had Georgia as the best team, followed by Michigan. I still think Ohio State's number three. I, I think they should only drop the spot. They took the second best team in college football on the road down to the wire, but Ohio State's probably not going to get in. I got Washington fourth with, with respect to Oregon at five and Texas at six, but Alabama has a very real chance because if they beat Georgia, it's a very, very hard argument to make that Alabama's not in the playoff. Uh, but that's another discussion for, for another day, certainly at least for Friday's show and certainly uh, for Sunday. Florida State at four, though, is an absolute joke. Here's why. There are... And this is going to end up if Florida State makes the playoff. And the ACC championship game is on Saturday. They play Louisville, who I think is 14th ranked in the nation. And Louisville, just like every single other team in the ACC this season, is a fraudulent team. Florida State today is a two-point favorite, two-and-a-half point favorite if you look at some sports books. So it's it could go either way, uh, the ACC title game. If Florida State wins, they're going to be undefeated at 13-0, and and they're going to be in the college football playoff. You're like, Bryson, I mean... Can't control your schedule. Can't control who you who you put on there. By the way, Florida State did beat LSU to start the season. Beat them soundly. Did LSU reach the expectations that I and a lot of other folks had them at? Potentially dethroning Alabama again for a second straight year to win the SEC West? No, really the only story for, <clears throat> excuse me, for LSU was, oh my God, Jaden Daniels is a matting player. He's amazing. Rest of LSU, eh, not as good as the Tigers teams we've seen in the past. You look at the rest of Florida State's schedule, it's about as fraudulent as one might expect. They got they had Southern Miss. They barely beat Boston College, who's awful. Barely beat Clemson, who, yes, surged at the end of the season, but Clemson is nowhere near the Clemson of old. Beat Virginia Tech, beat Syracuse, beat Duke without Duke's starting quarterback, beat Wake Forest, Pitt, uh, Miami, who's solid, but again, by the skin of their teeth, North Alabama, and beat Florida on Saturday by nine points. A Florida State, uh, I'm sorry, a Florida team that's five and seven. And excuse me, Florida State without Jordan Travis, their starting quarterback. They put up 224 yards of offense against Florida. Against Florida, not Alabama or Texas, Oregon, Washington, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. Florida, who went five. And seven. For context, Florida also happened to play the best team in college football in the back-to-back national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. And Georgia beat them soundly by three touchdowns and had almost 500 yards of total offense. There are levels to this. And we do this in the playoff every year. Every single season, we, we always do this. Where there's that one team where like, uh, you know, they're undefeated. 
didn't really play anybody, but I mean, all you can do is win the games that are in front of you. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, if it's, I know we say it's who the best four teams are, but I mean, we can't punish a team who's not lost any games over a team who has lost a game. Yeah, we can because we have eyeballs. We did this with Cincinnati in 2021. Yes, they beat Notre Dame, and they were a more legitimate college football playoff team two years ago than a potential Florida State team would be this year. But um, we kind of all knew what was going to happen once Cincinnati got in, right? Like, we we kind of, we, we knew Cincinnati would have no prayers chance against Alabama, and they didn't. They barely had 200 yards of offense against the Crimson Tide, and they scored six six more points than you and I did sitting on our couch wa- couches watching the game. Last year, they did it with TCU. TCU was the feel-good story of college football, right? They came out of what was a very weak Big 12 last year, beat a lot of, won a lot of close games. They were kind of the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, same colors, purple team. Uh, you know, kind of like last year's Minnesota Vikings, right? Like, we didn't really trust them. Didn't really think that they were all that good. But, hey, won the close games. They were good in the fourth quarter. They deserve props for that. TCU came in, to their credit, beat Michigan, although Michigan kind of self-imploded. And then lost, and I'm not making this up, 65-7 to to Georgia, who had just barely escaped a great Ohio State team the week prior. The real national championship was Georgia-Ohio State. It was not, it was not TCU. I remember arguing passionately, and I hate Alabama passionately, <laughs> but Bama lost two games last year. They lost two games on walk-off plays by combined four points to my Tennessee Volunteers and to LSU. Bama was better than TCU. That's not even it's not even arguable. And we saw it play itself out. You're telling me that if the playoff holds today and we get Michigan versus, who, who's number three uh, right now in the college football playoff? Uh, number three is, is it Washington? Yes, it is. Okay, if Michigan takes on Washington. It's at least competitive. Washington, as good as J.J. McCarthy is, Washington certainly has the advantage at quarterback. I think Michael Penix Jr. is a special talent. And Washington's very well coached uh, and has some future NFL players in that team. Michigan wins, but they don't humiliate Washington. Georgia played number nine Ole Miss. Hung 50 on them. They played in what was, I was there, the loudest game, at, at least at one point was the loudest game, in the history of Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, Georgia won the game by four touchdowns. Number nine, Missouri. Georgia won by two scores. What the heck would they do to Florida State? We saw it with Alabama in 2021, what they did to Cincinnati. We saw it with Georgia when they took on TCU. If the college football playoff committee is what they say they are, and they want the best four teams, It will be Georgia, it will be Michigan, it will be the Pac-12 championship game, and then we can debate between Texas and, again, a lot of it depends on if Alabama wins. Don't think they will, but if they win, you'll debate between Texas, Alabama, and Ohio State. All of those teams are better than Florida State. And it's decisions like this. Why the college football playoff has been, in many years, non-competitive. I saw this stat. In the last five years, there's been 15 college football playoff games uh, played, okay? So 10 semifinal games, five national championship games. Only three, only three games were decided by fewer than 11 points with an average margin of victory of three touchdowns. 
Some of that, in fairness, was because you had teams like the 2019 LSU Tigers, which were, in my view, the greatest college football team of all time. We can debate that another day, but they're certainly in that discussion. They were fantastic, led by the great Joe Burrow. But it's also because the college football playoff, because they don't want to upset anybody. They don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't, they, they, they always want that, that kind of like we see in March Madness, where we see, I remember um, that one team, uh, Loyal Chicago. Remember when Loyal Chicago made that crazy run of the Final Four? They were a feel-good team. Certainly deserved to be in the tournament, got to the Final Four. We saw that. But the college football playoff, they want the feel-good team. Cincinnati, it just felt good. It felt all warm and fuzzy. All the underdog uh, Cincinnati Bearcats. Let's put them in. And then watch them get humiliated by Alabama. Let's put TCU in. We we just even though they did lose their conference championship game, let it because it, it feels good. Let's put them in the college football playoff because it feels good with Florida State. They're undefeated. It's a great college football brand. Florida State Seminoles. We all recognize who they are and what they represent historically. The great late great Bobby Bowden, Deion Sanders, all the great teams of of Florida State past. Let's put them in. It, it feels good doesn't mean it's going to be a better product. If the playoff committee is about truly the best four teams, it will be the SEC champion, which I assume will be Georgia. It will be Michigan, who's going to house uh, Iowa. It's going to be the winner of the Pac-12 title game between Washington and Oregon. And then we debate Texas, who has a valid case. Ohio State, I still believe, has a valid case. It's not Florida State. It's, it's, it's not. The, folks, the eye test has to matter at some point. Yes, winning the game does matter, but it's not the NFL where I argue for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, say what you want about Philly. They're awesome in late-game situations. Florida State, I wouldn't call them awesome in late-game situations. They're fine. They kind of self-destructed against Boston College and got away at the very end, kind of by the skin of their teeth, Boston College. Not a very good football team. If you want to do this again, feel free, college football playoff. Knock yourselves out. But if there was ever a more competitive field for the top four teams in the college football playoff, it would be this year. And of the eight potential candidates, chances are you may end up putting the worst team in. Just because it feels good. Because they did win a Power 5 conference with an undefeated record. Yeah, it was also by a country mile the worst Power 5 conference. SEC was better. Pac-12, you know, it's soon to be said, God rest the Pac-12 uh, conference's soul. But Pac-12, best conference of college football this season. Big Ten was excellent. SEC was really good. Heck, the Big 12 was solid. Until Oklahoma tailed off at the end, they were having a good season. Texas has been tremendous from start to finish. At least, listen, if it's about what feels good, what makes you feel better, or you don't want to ruffle any feathers, at least just come out and tell us outright. Okay? What's the old analogy? Like, don't... um, don't uh, forget my language. Don't piss on me and tell me it's rain. Um, that's kind of what I feel right now with the college football playoff. At least at least be forthright and transparent. And they're not. We still have a weekend. Florida State. I'm sorry, not Florida State. College football playoff committee. Still have time to delete this. Only time will tell. All I can say is, I don't think I've ever said this in my life, but go Louisville so that we don't have to deal with this nonsense of Florida State getting in the college football playoff. They are nowhere near the teams that are going to be competing for those last two spots. We kind of know it's going to be Georgia and Michigan in. Even if Georgia loses, I think Georgia's in. Bama would be favorite. This is this is not even, this is objection. This is, a, 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 it, it's amazing to me. 
Alabama would be better, uh, would be favored against against Florida State. Texas would be favored over Florida State. Oregon would be favored over Florida State. Washington would be favored over Florida State. It's it's objectively true, guys. What are we doing? But it feels good. Again, I'll put my top six. This is just mine. This is this means nothing because I don't have a vote in the college football playoff committee. But this is my top six. First four teams in. Last first two teams out. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Washington, obviously potentially swapped with Oregon if Oregon wins. Oregon's fifth, Texas is sixth. And if Alabama beats Georgia, Bama has a pretty compelling case themselves to get in the college football playoffs as well. But I'll I'll tell you this, though. What I do love about this upcoming weekend is all the possibilities. Like It was kind of like this a year ago where if USC lost to Utah in the Pac-12 title game, which they ended up doing, it was going to create all these potential scenarios for a team like uh, like Ohio State to sneak back in despite not even making their conference title game. Alabama, who I think should have gotten in over TCU, is going to open doors uh, for possibility of that to uh, to, to occur. Uh, this year, I mean, you know, I, I heard today there is a there is a legitimate possibility that if Alabama beats Georgia, the winner of the Pac-12 title game doesn't get in, at least if it's Oregon, because Oregon would have one loss. Uh, if Washington wins are undefeated, and given how, how brutal that, that conference is, it's going to be hard to keep an undefeated Washington, who actually played stiff competition out of the playoff. But if Alabama beats Georgia, they're not kicking Georgia out. St- stop. They're not. <laughs> they haven't lost a game in two years. They're the back-to-back national champions. They had a brutal end-of-season schedule, dominated every team that came in their path. Georgia's in. Michigan's going to be in after beating Iowa. You would almost have to put Texas in. And again, Texas has a legitimate shot, too. Like, they're they're pulling for some things to happen in their, in their favor to get in the college football playoff. But if, you, if you're the Texas Longhorns, you're sitting back and saying, time out. If Alabama beat Georgia, hey, guys, we went to Alabama and beat them. Comfortably, I might add. Why can't we be in the playoff? And I think the college football playoff committee is probably going to agree with Texas. Again, some of this also depends on what happens with Florida State. There is a scenario, I believe, in which Oregon or Washington doesn't get in, which is wild to think because Washington's third, Oregon's fifth, like, and they play each other, so it's like, of course, one of them's going to get in. I'm telling you. Washington, it'd be hard to keep them out. Oregon, though, I'm telling you. And Oregon's a nine-point favorite in the Pac-12 title game on Friday. So, I listen, I can't wait for this weekend. First domino is going to fall on Friday night uh, in the Pac-12 title game, which I think is in Vegas. Is it in Vegas? Yeah, it's at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. So the first domino is going to fall there. Oklahoma State, Texas is at noon on Saturday. Georgia-Bama is at four. This is all Eastern time, obviously, on Saturday. Uh, Michigan-Iowa and then with Big Ten title game, and then Louisville-Florida State uh, will both kick off at the same time. I just really, listen, as long as Florida State loses, I'm kind of fine with whatever the result is because Florida State is objectively not one of the four best teams. Folks, they barely 200 yards against a team that's not even going to make a bowl game. I mean, they're, they're second-string quarterback. I feel like this is common sense, but evidently the playoff doesn't have much of that. I don't know. I'll talk more about this on Friday's show, but my gosh, it is, it's it's mind-numbing what we're doing right now. Or what the, it's not what we're doing, what the playoff committee's doing. Matter of fact, I think the fans know. I think most of the media knows. I I don't know what it is with the with, with, with these with these men and women. Like, they just, they did it with Cincinnati. They were wrong. Did it with TCU. Dead wrong. Gonna do it with Florida State. 
double dead wrong. My gosh. Okay. Let me move to Tom Brady. First NFL topic. Uh, again, everybody feel free to chime in the comment section. Uh, let me know what you think. I'm just, I'm fired up about this. Like, I, I, I'm a big believer. Not only do I want the four best teams, then I'll get to Tom Brady. Not only do I want the four best teams in, I and every college football fan there is, unless you're pulling for your team to, to win in blowout fashion, aren't we all? We just want good, you know, it's, it's cliche. We just want to see a good game. We want to see competitive games. I mean, the national championship, folks, was a dud. It was a dud. We should have had two SEC teams in last year, Georgia-Bama. Should have had two Big Ten teams in last year, which we did, Michigan-Ohio State. I don't care if it offends the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12. Those were the four best teams, and we saw DCU was kind of, you know, one of these things is not like the others. And that played itself out. We want to see good games. And if Florida State's in, we are guaranteed at least one blowout. We're guaranteed at least because Georgia or Michigan, whoever ends up being one, uh, right now it's Georgia. That game would be over by the first quarter. It'd be over by the first quarter. Unbelievable. Okay, now I'll move to Tom Brady. Now I'll get off my high horse here. Um, So Tom Brady was talking on Stephen A. Smith's podcast last week. And I'll play the soundbite in just a second. Uh, and he reiterated his comments uh, today on his own podcast, the Let's Go podcast. But before we get into that, it's time for carving up the context. Right now, here we go. As Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. Okay, so Tom Brady, on this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, Tom Brady was talking last week to Stephen A. Smith, reiterated his comments uh, recently this week on his own podcast, the Let's Go podcast, which he does with with the great, the legend, Jim Gray. It's a fantastic show. They had Denzel Washington on recently, and Tom and Denzel were reciting a, a scene from Remember the Titans. It was really, really cool. T two of the greatest ever, Tom and Denzel. But uh, he was talking to Stephen A. last week on Stephen A.'s podcast about a level of mediocrity he's seen in the NFL and the factors that he thinks are playing into that. Take a listen. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Why not? And Why not? I think the coaching isn't as, as good as it was. I don't think the development of young players is as good as it was. The rules have allowed a lot of bad habits to get into the actual performance of the game. Mm -hmm. So I just think the product, in my opinion, is less than what it's been. I think I look at a lot of players like Ray Lewis and Rodney Harrison and Ronnie Lott and guys that impacted the game in, in a certain way. And every hit they would have made would have been a penalty. Mm. You hear coaches complaining about <sighs> their own player being tackled and not necessarily... Why don't they talk to their player about how to protect himself? We used to work on the fundamentals of those things all the time. Now they're trying to be regulated all the time. Offensive players need to protect themselves. It's not up to a defensive player to protect offensive player. A defensive player needs to protect himself. I didn't throw the ball to certain areas because I was afraid players were going to get knocked out. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Wow. I didn't throw it to the middle when I played Ray Lewis because you knock him out of the game and I couldn't afford to lose a good player. Okay, so Tom, you heard what he said on the Stephen A. Smith podcast last week. Here's what he said on his own podcast. You don't have the soundbite, so I'll read it off. It was on the Let's Go podcast in the last couple of days. He said, quote, The pro game is reflecting what the college game is as opposed to the college game reflecting what the pro game is. We're asking pro players to play college football. That's the biggest difference I see. It's way more checkers than it is chess. Uh, chess. I tried to play chess. I wanted to have three moves ahead of you at all times. 
Tom Brady is not in any way. Usually when I do carving up the context, I'm like, okay, this person is wrong. And here's why. Tom is not wrong in some of his assessments. I'll get to the rules aspect of it in a second, but because he, but I'll start with the quarterbacks aspect because that's what he was talking about. Uh, because listen, Tom's quarterback, Tom's a quarterback. Tom's the greatest quarterback. He's the standard of what uh, every quarterback wants to and wants to be and is. Um, he's not wrong, but he is a bit incomplete. And here's why. Tom was talking about in this recent quote that I just read and sort of was touching on this uh, in that soundbite you just heard about how the game's more chess or needs to be more chess than it is checkers. It needs to be more complicated. And I want to be a step ahead of you from a schematic standpoint than you are ahead of me to a certain degree. He used to talk about all these battles that he talked about there with Ray Lewis and all these great defensive players and like the back and forth, the chess match. But what Tom Brady is missing is this. When Tom Brady became a quote-unquote great chess player, so to speak, as a quarterback, great guy breaking down defenses, being great at the line of scrimmage, being one step or three steps ahead, as he said in that recent quote, uh, of, of the defense he's playing to gain a, 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 an advantage, he didn't come into the league like that because really no quarterback comes in the league like that. It's with any job. You come in, you have no experience at doing what you have been employed to do. In some respects, obviously that's not the case with others, but in terms of college and NFL, very different. Not as different as it used to be, as Tom talked about the college game, but I'm going to give you an example. 2012. Let's go back to 2012, which <laughs> it's crazy that it's been 11 years, almost 12 now, but let's go back to, to, to the 2012 NFL season, start of that year, okay? Tom, by this point, this would be year 13 of his career. He had mastered the game. He had mastered the position. He understood what it took uh, to, to gain an advantage from a schematic standpoint, from an ability standpoint, you know, whatever the case may be. Tom had that. He talks about the mediocrity of today's NFL and the simplicity of today's NFL. In terms of the quarterback position, part of the reason it wasn't that way, again, I'm using 2012 for an example, is because you know what? Every great quarterback at that time, outside of one, had in common – they were all in their 30s. Tom Brady was 35. Peyton Manning was 36. Drew Brees was 33. Uh, even the guys we don't think were awesome quarterbacks, they were very effective. Uh, Eli Manning was 31. Tony Romo, 32. Phillip Rivers, 31. Big Bing, 30. And, you know, the, the, the spring chicken Aaron Rodgers was 28. The great quarterbacks were either maybe a little past their prime, right smack dab in the middle of their prime, or about to go into their prime. The great quarterbacks, the one part of the reason what made them great is they did have a schematic advantage to a certain extent. They had mastered the position. The reason that's not the case nowadays, they might as well be kids. Patrick Mahomes is 28 years old. Josh Allen, 27. Burrow and Lamar are both uh, 26. Hertz is 25. Also, uh, so is Tua. Justin Herbert is 25, 20, 24, 25 years old. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 24. Uh, CJ Stroud, 22 years old. He was born in the 21st century. Dax, the old guy, he's 30. All of the great quarterbacks, at least most of the great quarterbacks, really haven't mastered the position yet because they haven't played long enough. Mahomes was drafted in 2017. Alan Lamar drafted 2018. Lamar was a young draft pick. Uh, Joe Burrow drafted. Joe Burrow was only drafted three years ago. Trevor Lawrence two years ago. CJ Stroud this year. It takes time. It takes reps. It takes a lot of games. It takes I mean, for Tom Brady. It, it took almost a decade for him to truly evolve into. Okay, that guy's awesome. When was Tom's first year? Where we were like, 
that might be the best quarterback in the league. It was 2007. Remember the Randy Moss year, 50 touchdowns, 18-1. and Patriots almost completed a, a perfect season, the first ever 19-0 season in the history of the league. It took Tom almost a decade to get to that point. Tom didn't just come in. Matter of fact, a lot of the knock on Tom, some of it I think is unjustified, but a lot of the knock on Tom was, man, when he came in, he was a game manager. That's why a lot of folks, in my view, wrongly, gave the bulk of the credit to Belichick. Uh, they had these great defenses, and Tom was just, don't, you know, don't screw it up, Tom Brady, you know. And that sort of was the case with that first Super Bowl against the greatest show on turf. Beyond that, it wasn't, but you see where people got that from. Tom was not playing chess when he came into the NFL. The second thing where I think Tom is not wrong on, but a bit incomplete on, is when he's talking about the rule changes. Where he's talking about, hey, guys can't go over the middle. You can't hit guys a certain way. Some of the hits that he mentioned, guys like Ronnie Lott, and I think he might have mentioned Ed Reese, some of the great defensive players, Ray Lewis. Some of the hits they, they, they made back in the day would have been penalties today, would have been flags today. That's true, but I'll piggyback on a point that my man Barry Grant Jr., because I want to give props where it's due, because he's the first person I heard say this. Shout out to Barry, all even podcast here at the grid. He said this, and I agree with him. Tom Brady's part of the reason those rules changed. Tom's stature, Tom's greatness, because I, I, I mentioned the 2007 season where he was incredible, where he really matured and evolved into a great quarterback. Opening day, the very next season, at Arrowhead Stadium against the Kansas City Chiefs. Early in the game, guy comes around, hits Tom Brady low, tears his ACL, done for the season. The rules change that offseason. You can't hit quarterbacks low. Aaron Rodgers, I want to piggyback on this. Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show uh, yesterday. He's on there every Tuesday. And Aaron said, hey, I agree with Tom Brady about how the rules uh, maybe have made the game a little bit soft to a certain extent. Okay, but... Aaron Rodgers is also, because of his stature and his greatness, is a big reason that the rules changed in terms of protecting quarterbacks. Remember 2017? I think this was week six of 2017. The Packers are on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. And the linebacker for the Vikings, Anthony Barr, comes around, not only hits Aaron Rodgers, but drives him into the ground. We'd seen this. This was a legal hit just within the last decade. Hits Aaron Rodgers, drives him into the ground, you know, puts his full body weight on him, drives Aaron Rodgers into the U.S. Bank Stadium turf. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, broke his collarbone, collarbone and missed a, a huge chunk of the season. They changed the rule the next year. You can't put your full body weight in the quarterback. And I remember to start that 2018 season, guys like Clay Matthews were getting penalized and other pass rushers. And Aaron Donald, because he's the freak of nature that he is, Aaron Donald's like, okay, I won't put my body weight on him. I'll literally just grab the quarterback and throw him to the ground. Literally, check Aaron Donald's tape from 2018. He's got a lot of sacks that look like that. Brady and Rodgers, Brady in particular, aren't wrong. But they are incomplete in the sense that they're part of the reason the rule changed. And they benefited from the rules changing. Now, I'm not knocking them for that because we got to see Tom Brady evolve into having the greatest prime, the longest prime of any athlete we've ever seen with the exception of LeBron James. Aaron Rodgers' prime has extended a very long time. Just two years ago, he's the MVP of the league. In the 80s and 90s, would that have been the case? They would have still been great. They would still been on-timers. Heck, Tom might have even still been the GOAT. They wouldn't have played this long. For the record... I'm glad the rules have changed. I'm glad we got to see Tom play as long as he has. I'm glad we've got to see Aaron do what he has to this point in his career pre-Achilles tear. But those don't happen. The rules that they're complaining about don't change without them. 
So when it comes to Tom evaluating quarterback play and how the game is maybe a little bit more simplistic, well, yeah, it should be. These guys are kind of kids. Again, the oldest, we can argue all day about whether or not he's elite, whatever. The oldest, very effective quarterback in the NFL. And certainly he's in the MVP discussion this year. Dak Prescott literally just turned 30 a few months ago. So Dak's like the old guy. He's the elder statement. But really the only guys in their 30s that are playing the quarterback at a decent to a pretty high level are Stafford and Russell Wilson. And Stafford's breaking down physically. Russell's not the Russell of years past. 11 years ago, 2012, all the great quarterbacks outside of Aaron Rodgers were in their 30s. So give it five years, seven years or so, when Mahomes and Herbert and Allen... I don't know if Allen's body's going to hold up. I hope he does. But uh, uh, Josh Allen and uh, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, when those guys get in their 30s, it is going to be chess. They are going to be five steps ahead of the defense. And it is going to look a little bit like what we saw with Brady's era of great quarterbacks. But I think in some sense, we are being a little too quick to judge guys who come in the league. By the way, maybe part, I don't think this is true, but maybe part of the reason Tom and others have talked about, man, the, the, the quality of quarterback play, I think it's because the guys today, some of this is the rule changes, some of his coaching, and some of this is, is just pure raw ability and talent. I think because the quarterback play is of, of the upper tier guys, the guys we all recognize as some of the best in the league, is so great, it makes the mid guys or the terrible guys look even worse. Kenny Pickett? You know, that's my guy in Pittsburgh. What I, I shouldn't say I love Kenny Pickett. I really like Kenny Pickett. There's some qualities about him that I think can potentially be a franchise quarterback. Not a star, but a franchise quarterback. Kirk Cousins leveled as very as, as absolute peak potentially. Kenny Pickett 30 years ago, you could win a Super Bowl with him. You probably can't nowadays. That's changed as well. And Zach Wilson, who and Mac Jones, who are really bad. Look, they look even worse with some of the great quarterbacks we see nowadays with the size, the arm strength, the accuracy, the mobility, heck, the leadership that we see from some of the guys today. So Tom Brady is far from wrong. He's just incomplete in terms of the rule changes and in terms of the quarterback play in the NFL. So as far as this segment, this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, that's the context that I think Tom was missing. I'm certainly, who am I? some podcaster in Tennessee to, to question the, the greatness and the football acumen of the greatest player that's ever played in the league. I just don't think he was complete in his assessment. That's my only criticism. Um, but Tom is not wrong in all of his points. Because one thing, too, I heard, and this can sort of start a broader discussion. This is even, this is not even, I don't even count this in, in the carving up the context segment, but a broader discussion uh, I've heard bring up, and I think it's a more than valid one, is that the NFL talks about, hey, we care about safety and we've implemented these rules to protect the quarterbacks, to protect the offensive players because they're, you know, they're the moneymakers, so to speak, right? Like we, we, we come to games, we watch games to see the great quarterbacks and the great offenses. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is offense has actually been down this year because some of the rules, some of the new the way game the game's been officiated has benefited the defense in some ways, in terms of holding and, and, and et cetera. But if you think about the safety of the league and how the NFL's so called, you know, somewhat says, hey, we're going to protect the safety of the players. Then why is there a 17th game? Why is there still Thursday night football? It's a little inconsistent on the NFL's part. So I don't know. It's a big discussion to have. It's an important discussion to have that I think players should be involved in, officials should be involved in, coaches. And um, 
Certainly far from perfect. That's what I do know. I think we all, I think we'd all agree on that. There's, there's always, there's always improvements to be made to anything in life, even things that are operated well, which, <laughs> you know, by and large, the NFL is, is a, is a pretty successful business. I think that's, that goes without saying. But in terms of the game, the outfield product, there are some little tweaks and even some big ones uh, that need to be implemented. There's no question about that. That was fun though. Uh, but, you know, you're talking about Tom Brady. You can't, uh, you can't sit up here and say that, uh, it's just invalid what he's saying. You know, when I may not always agree with Michael Jordan, but when Michael Jordan is talking about basketball, my ears do perk up. I do listen. You know, great athletes. You get, you know, you're better off listening to the to talking head, the pundit, somebody like myself, or the guy who actually did it. But again, just in my view, in my opinion, context, uh, Tom was not completely complete, so to speak, in his in his analysis. Who knows? Maybe one of these days we'll get Tom Brady on the show. He's been making the podcast rounds. Maybe I'll reach out to Tom Brady. Hey, say, hey, Tom, let's let's talk about this. All right. So what I also do every Wednesday, in addition to carving up the context, is a segment I like to call Bryson's Best 10. It's my top 10 teams in the NFL and Bryson's Best 10 as time goes on, because this is a new segment that I've introduced. It will be a segment that, as time goes on, will be... Um, it'll be used with other segments, whether it's top 10 NBA players, heck top 10 quarterbacks or top 10 players in the NFL and even things beyond the world of sports. I mean, last week, who knows? I could have done a Bryson's best 10 on the top 10 Thanksgiving dishes, which would have been a, a very passionate debate with, with those who, who agreed or who, who disagree with me, but that nonetheless, it is the NFL season. We are moving into the kind of the, the fourth quarter, so to speak, of the NFL season. We're in week 13. Last game of November is going to be tomorrow, but going to predict that game in just a moment between the Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. But let's go and put the uh, the background music on right now. Let's start on um, Bryce's win this week. By losing... I've still got the Houston Texans. The Texans, to me, the 10th best team in the NFL, just like they were a week ago, and here's why. So Houston right now sitting there at 6-5. and five. Houston, you know, they suffered a brutal, brutal loss, not, not in terms of the score, but in terms of the playoff implications to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Had a golden opportunity at home on the on their home turf to potentially tie Jacksonville for the division, sweet Jacksonville for the, for the season, have the tiebreaker of them to potentially win that shot, you know, sneaky competitive AFC South. But CJ Stroud, nonetheless, is having a fantastic season. He's having really the greatest rookie quarterback season we've ever seen. When you're talking about a quarterback getting MVP votes or MVP buzz, you're doing something right, especially when you consider uh, where the organization was at before. But CJ Stroud right now has a pat had a passer rating. Uh, he had a passer rating of 116 over uh, against Jacksonville and is the second most passing yards in the NFL. Pass rings off the charts, passing yards off the charts. Like if you didn't know CJ Stroud was a rookie, uh, you know, you'd think he was, he was in the NFL for, for a decade. And it just, as we talked about with Tom Brady, like he mastered the position. Uh, Tank Dell is a real receiver. They stole him in the third round. Some of the other weapons that they have in Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz. The offensive line has really come together. And again, if the backup kicker, they're a backup kicker coming inches of making a bomb field goal away from sending the Jaguars, a very good Jaguars team, I might add, to overtime. So I don't want to overreact too much in the Houston Texans. I like their chances this week against a good Broncos team. Broncos were my last team I considered at number 10 for Bryce's best team. I decided to go with the Texans. We will get a clear answer on that on Sunday. The Texans are the 10th best team in the National Football League. At number nine, coming back to Bryce's best 10 after a few weeks of absence, it is the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins are the ninth best team in the NFL, and here's why. So, Listen, got to be honest. So, in week three, after they you know, dropped a 70-burger on the Denver Broncos, I came out my show. I said, you know what? 
I was iffy about Tua. I thought he was a, an average quarterback. You stat padded against bad teams. And and I said, you know what? I'm wrong on Tua. I, you, you Dolphins fans, you got me. You win this one. Shout out to the city of Miami and all Dolphins fans out there. Because when you look at what Tua's done, he has a pass rating of 104 dating back to last year and this year. And is 16-8 and eight in his game. So he's, you know, he wins uh, a lot of football games. The Dolphins right now are a half game out of the one seed right now in a division that contains, uh, the, 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 yeah, that contains the Buffalo Bills. Last week against an excellent Jets defense for as bad as the offense in New York is. The Jets defense still has a ton of talent led by Sauce Gardner, obviously, and the Williams brothers, uh, and they still dropped 30-plus in this team. So, Tua played well. Raheem Mostert in this offensive line, kind of finding a rhythm. I still like where Miami is defensively in terms of what Jalen Ramsey's doing, what the pass rush is doing, and Bradley Chubb, etc. Uh, Vic Fangio's doing a good job. They did lose Jalen Phillips for the season with an Achilles tear, uh, which just sucks, especially we consider that that MetLife turf uh, situation. They have got to, and I mean got to, address that at some point or another. Uh, but right now, when you look at Miami, they're about as explosive as team as there is in the National Football League, and that is why today, for me, uh, they are the uh, ninth best team in the NFL. If we can get the eighth best team up here, again, the, the graphic is is not, okay, I think I've got the graphic right here. The eighth best team in the NFL, once again, making their return to Bryson's best 10. At number eight, it is my Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, the Steelers today, the eighth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, Pittsburgh top 10 in the NFL in scoring defense. We know how good T.J. Watt is. We know T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett are on a collision course right now to win Defensive Player of the Year, although Micah Parsons is certainly making a late push. There's no question about that. But T.J. Watt, the, the, the Steelers linebacking core, the secondary led by Joey Porter Jr., Mr. Joey Porter Jr., potential Defensive Rookie of the Year, which I predicted him to do. If you look at what Joey Porter Jr. has done to the receivers uh, that he has faced, he saw Puka Nakua to a catch for, for 22 yards, Devontae Adams one catch, 12 yards, Calvin really two catches 20 yards DeAndre Hopkins one catch for 17 yards and most recently uh, Jamar Chase two catches for 36 yards so we know what the Steelers defense does and what Mike Tomlin can do it is the Steelers offense that finally moved on from Matt Canada Finally moved on, and they're, they're going with the dual offensive coordinator system, uh, back and forth, so to speak, uh, to, to play off of each other's strengths. Uh, Kenny Pickett was the third highest graded quarterback by, by pro football focus in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and for the first time, my Pittsburgh Steelers went for over 400 yards of offense, first time since week two of the 2020 NFL season when these players and these, uh, these teams were playing in front of empty stadiums. Long time ago, that's the last time the Steelers had a 400-yard day of offense. They're getting the ball to George Pickens. Najee Harris had his best game of the season. Kenny Pickett had his best game of the season. The Steelers' offense, if it finds any sort of an offensive rhythm, holy smokes, look out, because this team can be freaking dangerous considering that defense and obviously considering the great Mike Tomlin. The Steelers, the eighth-best team. My Steelers are the eighth-best team in the National Football League. At number seven, a team I've been high on all season long, but I'm having some concerns. It is the Detroit Lions. The Lions right now are the seventh-best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So... Detroit right now are having some real concerns about their defense. Yes, their offense isn't a funk, but listen, they still have the number one graded offensive line according to Pro Football Focus. Pernay Sewell, if you look at his PFF grade, was fantastic against the Green Bay Packers and against the pass rushers they got uh, over there. The Detroit Lions offense, despite the kind of the slump that Jared Goff, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Laporta, all those guys are in right now, Still the second uh, best offense in the NFL in terms of total offense, rushing, passing, points to uh, score the whole bit. So Detroit's fine in that regard. It's their defense that's a bit of an issue. So they gave up 26 to the Chicago Bears, the same Bears that couldn't muster a single touchdown against the Minnesota Vikings. You consider Jordan Love had his best game of the year since week one against the Chicago Bears. Detroit giving up 30, I'm sorry, 29 
against the Green Bay Packers, gave up 38 to the Chargers. So two weeks before that, three weeks before that, rather, gave up uh, 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 38 to the Baltimore Ravens. So little bit of a free fall right now defensively for Detroit, a team that started really well defensively. Can they get back on their feet? We'll see. But with this offense, as, as low as the AF, I'm sorry, as the NFC is, with great offenses like Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia, they can get in shootouts. I will still hold on my pick. I'm still hanging on for dear life that the Detroit Lions can make the NFC title game. I've said that back, uh, back last spring. Still believe they can do it. The Lions are the seventh best team in the National Football League. At number six, again, lower than most people would have them, but I got to call like I see it. The Baltimore Ravens right now. The Baltimore Ravens are the sixth best team in the NFL, and here's why. So you're saying, Bryson, time out. They have the number one rush offense. They have right now the number two scoring defense in the NFL. Why on earth do you have them at number six? The Mark Andrews loss, folks, is so much bigger than people give it credit for. Mark Andrews being gone for the season uh, is is a is a, or potentially for the season is brutal for Baltimore. Not to mention against the last ranked pass defense in the NFL, dead last. Chargers, Brandon Staley, terrible coach. Everybody wants to run about it, run him out of a town. At run him out of town, which is understandable. There's no question about that. Ravens scored 20, and Lamar had a pass rating just above league average at 82 and a QBR of 36 if we're going to round up. So the Ravens' offense, in terms of throwing the football, didn't get much going. Now running the football, they did run for 200 yards, but uh, not a lot of explosiveness. They, you know, Some coaching decisions by John Jim Harbaugh in the fourth quarter were questionable at best. It took a Zay Flowers crazy play in the fourth quarter just to pull away at the very end for the Baltimore Ravens. So I have some concerns about whether or not they can uh, go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs. I still do like this roster. But I, I, I've been saying for weeks now, their inability to be good offensively and defensively in the fourth quarter games, we saw that game against Cleveland a few weeks back, really, really concerns me and could be their undoing. That is why the Ravens, I have them at number six. They can move higher, no question about that. I'll see what I can see the next few weeks, and we'll see what we can see the next few weeks. But the Ravens today are the sixth best team in the National Football League. Moving to the top five at number five. I think this is the highest that they've been on Bryce's best 10. It is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars are the fifth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So here are two fun stats about Jacksonville I think y'all will like, okay? So they are dead last in the NFL in penalties. So I've always raved about Doug Peterson. I think he's one of the better coaches in the league with quarterback whisper. Man, what a Super Bowl with Nick Foles at quarterback with a beat-up Philadelphia roster. Doug Peterson's a darn good head coach. We know that uh, for his day with, days with the Eagles. A lot of Andy Reid assistants are good head coaches, but that's who Doug Peterson is. But you consider, not only is Jacksonville dead last in the NFL in penalties, so they don't make mistakes, they don't beat themselves up, undefeated, undefeated on the road this season. It's actually at home where they struggle. So, like, if they win the AFC South or if they were to somehow get the one seed, which they're a uh, half game back of doing, and they play the one seed later this year, the Baltimore Ravens, the current one seed, you know, you actually feel better about the Jaguars going away from home, going away from Jacksonville, away from Duval County than you do there. But Trevor Lawrence is really finding his rhythm, had a pass rating over 100 against Tennessee, was really good, had over 300 yards passing uh, and a couple of touch, a touchdown running and a touchdown passing against the Houston Texans. And in general, when you look at Trevor Lawrence uh, in that game, he had a pass rating of 90. I uh, he did. Hey, he's, he's struggled a little bit with the turnovers, the fumbles, the interceptions. He needs to clean that up, but I love what ETN's doing. I love this defense in terms of their ability to take the ball away. Uh, I really like where Jacksonville's going. I had them in the AFC championship game before the season. Still feel excellent about that. Jaguars, the fifth best team in the NFL. The team I think they will lose to in the AFC Championship game. At number four, it is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs right now the fourth best team in the NFL, and here is why. So they don't move any from last week. But when you look at Kansas City right now, okay, they uh, Rasheed Rice 
had over 100 yards receiving. And have we not been lamenting the fact that, man, outside of a somewhat declining Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes does not have a true number one receiver? Well, she rice against the Las Vegas Raiders, I, albeit it's Vegas, and they don't have a very good defense. We understand what, what, what that happens to be uh, every given Sunday. But Patrick Mahomes, after the Raiders went up 14-zip, the Raiders fighting for a playoff spot, desperate at home, divisional familiarity. Patrick Mahomes had a pass rating of 133 after that, led multiple scoring drives. Isaiah Pacheco uh, was good. Rasheed Rice maybe has found his rhythm as the true, the rookie, the true number one receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs and to give Patrick Mahomes some extra help. They've cleaned up the drops. Again, if offense, I keep saying this, if offense is the Chiefs' problem, they'll be fine. You also consider the fact that they're 8-3, and three, half came back in the one seed in the AFC. And guess what, folks? They just played. The, they just finished the second hardest schedule when you talk about opponents' win percentage in football. Second only to my Pittsburgh Steelers. So when you look at what they're doing uh, offensively and defensively, they're 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 top of the NFL. Uh, and many, uh, sorry, top ten in the NFL in score defense. So Kansas City, I love where they're at right now. I still think they're the best team in the AFC. The Chiefs are the fifth best. I'm sorry, fourth best team in total in the National Football League. At number three, again, really no movement from here. At number three right now is the Dallas. Cowboys. Dallas is the third best team in the NFL, and here is why. So, this isn't even a deniable fact. Uh, Dak Prescott has been clearly the best quarterback in the NFL over his last six games. You look at Dak, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions in his last six games. The offense and defense, by the way, both top five in the NFL. Offense in terms of scoring points, defense in terms of points allowed. So, they're stopping teams. They're getting turnovers off teams. Deron Bland last week, congratulations. The record for a single season interceptions, uh, uh, return for touchdowns, pick sixes, as we of course know them to be. Dak squarely in the middle of the MVP discussion. I think he's the front runner. CD Lamb is making a case that he is one of the three or four best receivers in the NFL. The Dak CD Lamb connection is rolling right now. Also, you think about guys like uh, Jake Ferguson, who's finding his rhythm as the true number one tight end of this Cowboys team. The Cowboys offensive line by Pro Football Focus. Uh, the offensive line, I had questions about coming into the season, ranked number five in the NFL by Pro Football Focus. This team is humming on all cylinders. Mike McCarthy, to me, is in the midst of the Coach of the Year discussion. Love what I'm seeing. Micah Parsons uh, running wild with that Cowboys defense, despite losing Trayvon Diggs and Leighton Vanderish. The Cowboys today are the third best team in the National Football League. At number two, it is the team that they got blown out against, and we five the San Francisco 49ers so here's the thing about San Francisco they are leading the NFL in terms of turnover differential their quarterback doesn't turn the ball over and on defense they take the ball away from you so that leads to some short fields for the 49ers offense again I I, I it's, it's such a weird discussion with Brock Purdy you have those who think he is the cat's meow and you have those who think he's just a system guy and is a product of what they have in San Francisco I maintain that if the guys in San Francisco are there, Debo, Trent Williams, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, etc., Brock Purdy plays like a top five quarterback. If they're not there, he's an average version of Russell Wilson or Jared Goff. Still pretty darn good. So Brock Purdy's got he doesn't have the arm talent of a guy like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or somebody, but he's accurate, mobile, teammates love him. Christian McCaffrey's been nothing short of spectacular in the last few games. He's probably the best player on this Niners offense, at least positional player on this Niners offense, if you don't want to include Trent Williams on that O-line. Uh, San Francisco's defense, they did lose Talanoa Hufunga two weeks ago, which is a concern, but Nick Bosa's playing well. Uh, the interior defensive line playing well. You think about guys like Chase Young, which is a great acquisition at the deadline, and we know Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are, are the best linebacking duo by a mile in the NFL. I say it every week, and it still remains to be this, this, the same, at least in my view. I think the Niners have the best roster in all of football. 
Uh, so I think today they are the second best team in the NFL. And the beauty of this is number one and number two will take on one another on Sunday, third straight week. It makes me want to vomit saying this. Best team in the NFL is the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are the best team in football. And here's why. So I talked about this on Monday and I hate Philadelphia. Hate them. This thing, ah, Eagles get lucky, and they win a bunch of close games. Seven and one in close uh, games decided by one score, by the way. Yeah, but Jalen Hurts is fantastic in the fourth quarter. So is this defense. So is this coaching staff. So is A.J. Brown, etc. This offensive line, I think, is the best in the NFL. Jason Kelsey still, even at this advanced stage of his career. I mean, man may retire. For all we know, he came back, signed a one-year deal with the Eagles to see what his future is. Still the best center in the league. By a lot. One of the greatest, excuse me, centers in the history of the game. And we talk about Philadelphia being in these one-score games. You also got to factor in the fact that this schedule, since that Jets loss, they played the toughest schedule in the NFL, okay? They had to knock off the Miami Dolphins, which they did by two scores. Washington was a little bit of a, of a, of a iffy game, but they were able to take that game on the road. Knocked off a Dallas team whose quarterback played better than their quarterback. Props to the Eagles for winning that game. Went on the road to Kansas City in wet, gross conditions. Beat the Chiefs. Wet, gross conditions at home against a desperate Buffalo team. Beat them in overtime. So we can talk about luck all we want, but what great team doesn't get lucky to a certain extent? So this Eagles team is humming in all cylinders. I still have questions about the secondary and the defense in terms of against the pass. We saw Josh Allen expose it the way that even Matt Jones could back in week one. So that is a concern for Philly, but their offense is absolutely loaded. Jalen is in the MVP discussion, given what he's done in the fourth quarter of some of these games today. Much as it pains me to say, the Eagles are the best team in the National Football League. We got some comments here. Let's see what we got. Sid is in the comments. Sid says he's a Lions fan. He says, Lions fan since 94. I don't trust Goff. Well, I don't trust Goff if the protection isn't good, Sid, because um, he's not a guy. He, he Jared Goff is like the last of a dying breed in terms of like pure pocket quarterbacks. Whereas the rest of the... We can argue about Jared Goff if he's elite or not. I don't think he's... If he's elite, is he at the bottom of the elite tier? If he's very good, he's at the top of the very good tier, if you know what I mean. But if the pocket isn't clean, it's a little bit of a problem. The good news is, as I mentioned with your Lions, uh, Sid, the they, they have the number one ranked, uh, or number one graded offensive line by the folks at Pro Football Focus. Uh, Sid, Jags are disciplined, and that troubles well later on. Uh, yeah, it, it does, and it, it's... That's why they're, and that's a big reason that they are undefeated on the road this season. So Doug Peters has done a great job. Trevor Lawrence is playing good football. So, by the way, went to London, had to play two straight games in freaking London. Nothing against London, you know, great people, but uh, that's not ideal having to give up those home games, and they still were able to get it done. Uh, Sid, I don't know about Dallas. Those last six games had only the Eagles as a tough opponent. That's totally fair. I understand that criticism, uh, but even in that game, they are literal literal inches from winning that game against the Eagles. If you think about the schoolmaker touchdown, if you think about CeeDee Lamb getting tackled at the one-yard line short of what would have been a walk-off touchdown at the end in Philadelphia, I think the Cowboys, I think that if there was any loss of this NFL season that actually built the losing team's confidence, I think it was Dallas against Philadelphia. It'll be fun to see what happens when those two match up next week. Uh, and Sid says, overall, good list. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. We'll recap the list. I'll put it up back here on the screen. Uh, I want to do this uh, moving forward, showing the, the the top 10 in totality. So from 1 to 10, I've got the Eagles, 49ers, Cowboys, Chiefs, Jaguars, Ravens, Lions, Steelers, go Steelers, Dolphins, 
and the Houston Texans. That's my top 10. Bryce's best 10 going into week 13. There we go. That's what we got. And I got some, uh, it, it says what can go wrong will go wrong uh, in terms of the Dallas Cowboys. Stephen A. Smith, the great Stephen A. Smith's uh, famous uh, phrase revolving uh, around Dallas. Uh, do we have the Cowboys Seahawks graphic? I think we do. Again, sometimes this this app I use to stream uh, the show it'll 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 boot graphics for some reason if you uh, if you have a certain amount. So I don't know. It is what it is in in that regard. Okay, so we do have a game tomorrow night to kick off week thirteen. Obviously, Seattle's not my list. Seattle's in a little bit of a free fall uh, right now in terms of the way uh, that they're playing. But we have a game tomorrow night featuring the Dallas Cowboys who are hosting the Seattle Seahawks at Jerry World. Dallas is a nine-point favorite at home. Dallas Cowboys, nine-point favorites on their home field. And by the way, this line, ever since last week, obviously these both both teams played on Thanksgiving. So we think about Thursday night football as, oh, man, teams on low rest. It's going to be a bad football game uh, in terms of the the aesthetics of it. Not really, or at least not necessarily. We wouldn't think that to be the case because Dallas and and Seattle are on equal rest coming off of playing last Thursday on Thanksgiving. Obviously, both will get an extended break uh, before their games next week in week 14. But Dallas was favored. When this line opened, it was like minus 7.5. Now it's up to minus 9. So this line just kept going up, up. Everybody's loving the Cowboys right now, and they should. Listen, Dallas has been arguably the best team in the NFL in terms of being a home home favorite. Matter of fact, I don't think they've lost a single game uh, at home. as They they haven't lost a home game since week 1 of last year. They haven't lost since Tom Brady was playing for the Buccaneers week one, 2022. That was the Cowboys last loss at Jerry world. Uh, But they dominated the jets, dominated the Patriots, uh, dominated the Rams, dominated the giants, dominated the commanders. They, they win at home and they win big at home for the Seattle Seahawks. I said this after the Niners loss, and I still firmly believe it uh, today, especially given the, the, the the task remaining ahead. Seattle's in danger of missing the playoffs. When you see what Green Bay's doing, when you see especially the division rival Rams are doing right now, who swept the Seahawks this year, Seattle right now, they have to go to Dallas, to San Francisco. Then they got a home game, but then it gets it's against, in my view, the best team of football in Philadelphia. Then they still got to play my Steelers in Week 17. So Seattle's in a tough, tough spot. This is a game they really, really need to win. The good news is for them, as Pete Carroll detailed in his recent uh, presser, Leading up to the game, Gino is the is certainly far more healthy going to this game with that shoulder than he was last week on short rest against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, look, Seattle's defense has been doing all it could, okay? They only gave up 17, albeit on a walk-off field goal. Not on a walk-off field goal, game-winning touchdown at the very end against the Los Angeles Rams, then the uh, field goal uh, missed at the very end. San Francisco did what they did against Seattle, but San Francisco usually does, does that to a lot of teams, unless your name is, is, <laughs> is the Cleveland Browns. So... We look at what Seattle's been doing uh, offensively and defensively. A little bit of a mixed bag, a little inconsistent. For Dallas, as I mentioned on Bryce's best 10, okay? Top five in the NFL in scoring offense. Top five in the NFL in scoring defense. Uh, so they're in a great spot, and there's no question about it. Uh, look, Dak's the MVP discussion. The narrative around Dallas. Oh, they can't beat good teams. Even though, again, I might add, they were literal inches away from being the best team in the NFL on the road in the Philadelphia Eagles. So with that said, 
I think Dallas wins, wins relatively comfortably. I don't think it's going to be a total humiliation. I've got the Cowboys winning in cover. Get 31 to 17 over the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks drop to six and six. Dallas, again, if the Cowboys want any chance of winning the division over Philadelphia, if they want any chance to contend for that number one seed, uh, they basically have to run the table. And this is one of those games. They're the better team. They're better than Seattle. They're at home. They're rolling. They need to win. I think they will do so. 31 to 17, Dallas over. Seattle. That's when things going to happen, and I will continue to make Dak's MVP case even further on Friday's show. With that, that is all the time here for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as on the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Of course, be sure to like, share, comment, Take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, we are trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58 for Carving It Up, uh, which Super Bowl 58 is February the 11th, trying to get to 1K. I believe we can do it. We surpassed 500 a few weeks ago. So, uh, listen, trying to get to to, to 1,000 by the Super Bowl. It's it's been a goal I've had before the season when I wasn't even to 200. Kind of put the mindset like, hey, I want to grow the audience. Want to get the show to as many people, many people as possible. So if you have subscribed, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Be sure to tell your friends and your family and all those you know and that you love about carving up live. If you haven't subscribed, hey, just takes a couple seconds. Subscribe button down there, red one says subscribe. At least if you're on YouTube right now and not on Twitter, boom, you're subscribed to Carving Up Live. That's what you got to do. Okay, and also go subscribe as equally as important to the Grid Network. That is G R Y D, the Grid podcast network right here on youtube as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via apple podcast spotify iHeartRadio, google podcast any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast we have some fantastic content creators i appreciate uh, all, all the stuff that that they have been doing uh eight o'clock spot last night was a blast eight o'clock spot every tuesday night at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific time it's the grid network's uh flagship game show so be sure to check that out uh every tuesday night i'm the moderator slash host slash judge whatever you want to call it of the show we had a blast last night uh my man john rivera fan perspective podcast back-to-back champions and three he's won in the last three times he's been on the show so shout out to john john uh, i see sid the comments he says awesome job see you tomorrow i will not be on tomorrow sid i will be on though on friday but nonetheless thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in and make your thoughts known as a lions fan i i believe in your lions sid i do i do i i believe in the lions to make the nfc title game uh only time will tell us that obviously but shout out to sid and to all those who tuned into today's show see you on friday gonna have a lot of college football a lot of nfl my guess is a lot of Dak Prescott MVP talk. Looking forward to that. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. It's a cause that's very, very near and dear to my heart, and we have to address it. See y'all on Friday. Cannot wait. College football playoffs. It's going to be a fun, fun weekend coming up of football that starts tomorrow with Cowboys and Seahawks. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Dak's going to put a hurt on Seattle. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.